Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at the Fez Agency. Did you all know that Portugal is currently ranked the number one country in the world for remote workers? Yeah, that's right. Number one in the entire world. With the beautiful weather mixed with the history, friendly people, incredible coastline, and awesome cuisine, it is really easy to understand why. And in fact, some of our most popular episodes here on About Abroad are about Portugal. So I already know that you all love it, and I'm not going to waste your time trying to convince you to go visit. But what I will try to convince you of is planning your next company retreat there. And when you do, to use the Fez Agency. Fez Agency is local, right there from Porto, with people on the ground to help you plan your company retreat. They can map out every single detail of your offsite anywhere in the country of Portugal. So that way you can arrive, you can unwind and recharge with your teammates without the stress. You all know you love it there. I know you'll love it there. So let's get your team there. And the next time you're planning a company offsite, consider Portugal and then contact my friends over at the Fez Agency to make it happen. You can visit them via the link in the show notes. My guest today is Andrew Williams. He joins me as the founder of Remote Tribe and is just one of those all-round great digital nomads that is in love with traveling the world and sharing how to do that at a very high level with the rest of the world. So we had a blast. We just kind of nerded out on being a digital nomad and what the future of work looks like and the future of travel for people who want to call different parts of the world home. A lot of fun talking with Andrew. I'll let you guys dive right into it and enjoy it as much as I did. Please help me and welcome welcoming Andrew to About Abroad. Yeah, man. So uh, it's a little early there for you this morning. We're both sipping on coffee, uh, getting this thing started. I, I, I expect good things, but powered by coffee for sure. Yeah, I guess it's chilly there as well where you are in France, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've, I've just made the transition from Spain up to France. So I'm dealing with a little bit colder weather, but you know, it's getting better as we speak. I'm, and I'm happy. I'm enjoying the new scenery. Are, are you south or north of France? Uh, I'm in the south. I'm like just north of the, of the border of Spain, actually. Yeah. So that's it, a good spot. Yeah. French, French Catalonia, which I don't, I don't know if you did, like, do you think it's a well-known thing that Catalonia extends into France? No, I actually didn't know it myself. Yeah, I, I think it's a, like, I, I feel like I have known this, I've spent a good bit of time in Spain, so maybe I, I kind of knew this in the back of my head, but I know like, you know, for most of my life and probably most people think that Catalonia is, we just associate it with Spain, right? Like, oh, it's that area that where Barcelona is that wants to secede from Spain. And that's, that's what people think of. But I guess like traditionally, I'm no expert on this at all, but traditionally Catalonia was more like a region, kind of like Basque country, also sort of a region. And the border between Spain and France is a relatively new thing. So it got split. Yeah. Yeah. It got split. And so it's weird, like, like here, people speak Catalan, like uh, the road signs are written in Catalan in this part of France. The second language is, is Catalan. People speak French, but they also speak Catalan. And I, I even met a guy who, a French guy who identified himself as Catalan. Like he was like, oh, no, I'm Catalan. I was like, but you're from France. He's like, yeah, I'm Catalan first. <laughs> I thought it was super cool. I don't know. This, I mean, you're, you're a world traveler. You, you're a digital nomad at heart. So like, I know that these kind of things probably 
appeal to you. But for me, I'm like, I totally nerd out on this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, in Europe, it's pretty common. You've got like a lot of people mixed now, a lot of different nationalities getting married and, and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's pre- Europe is pretty global, so to say. <laughs> yeah, it's a little little like globe in a continent in a, in a lot of ways. You're you're sort of the product of that, right? Like you're from, like, wh- where do you tell people you're from? I mean, you've... Yeah, so, I mean, usually I, I tell people, I mean, usually I, I don't want to talk about that. But I mean, if someone is really, really curious, I just tell them, you know, I'm, I'm half Romanian, half British. I've, I've, been, I've been split between the two countries. So I grew up uh, traveling a lot and then also uh, studied abroad. So quite international since a young age, I would say. Wow. Yeah. I th- do you think it was sort of like in your in your blood from the beginning? then to like you were kind of predestined to, to go off and become a, a bit of a global citizen? I don't citizen. think so. It was just circumstances. And I think, you know, globalization now is hitting everywhere. So more and more people are traveling everywhere. We're pretty lucky to do that. I mean, the, the ones that can are really lucky, you know, to just choose where they want to live and work. It is pretty amazing. But I, I just I just think it gave me the courage to travel and, and meet people. A lot of people tell me, oh, I don't know how you can do that. You're very courageous. I could never do that. But it's kind of a limiting belief, you know, and, and wh- why being stuck to a place? when there's so many other nice things to see in the world just just a waste yeah i agree what do you think the limiting beliefs are for like like why do we generally i mean they're you know digital nomads and expats people who are like traveling the world a lot like still a small fraction of the global population yeah like, even yeah. even though that that fraction has you know maybe 10 x in the last year or two or three or whatever still a small fraction of the global population like what what do you think the the limiting belief come, comes from for the the general pop it's a very good question i never thought about it but i'm pretty sure a lot of people are limited to you know the the place they grow up i think it's just out of security and safety most of all uh, if you go down to the root cause and just convenience you know i mean it's it's not easy to travel 12 hours on the other side of the globe where you don't speak the language and it's really weird you know like you go to from europe you go to a place like south korea or japan and then you're in a different world but yeah i think it's more a thing about convenience and and education in the end education in the way that you know like family growing up and upbringing and all that stuff but i think I think it will change a lot. Like, I think it will change a lot. Like, the new generation is growing up really internationally, especially in the big city. So, <clears throat> people move around, they meet new cultures, so they're going to become more curious. Uh, it's hard to tell, you know, how it's going to be like, but you're always going to have, you know, more people on the national side who just don't want to leave the country, and then more people on the international side who want to discover. It's, it's hard to tell who, who is who, but yeah. What what drives you? I'm curious. Like what what I always think about the like the push pull factors. Like were you were you pushed to to go see the rest of the world? You know, like some people just like felt like okay, I gotta get out of where I am. I need to go see somewhere else. Or some people are just like like that. You know, light at the end of the tunnel that they can't you know help but walk towards. Like where where do you fall on the spectrum? Yeah, I think I was mostly pulled because I'm a very curious person. I used to read a lot when I was younger, and my parents had a lot of books in their uh, the library. So um, I think. I- out of curiosity i just want to discover more and more it's kind of like a drug like a nice drug where yeah you know you want to see more and as you as you go older i think you want to discover more and more so yeah that's that's it i think i'm just fascinated by different cultures and different people can be tiring sometimes but i think it's very very rewarding yeah i totally agree i can relate to that like i didn't i actually didn't leave my home country in the u.s until i was 18 and i mean so i didn't have this like origin story as like a traveling family or something like that which is kind of interesting i was like my my parents were a flight attendant and a and a pilot so like in a lot of ways i was i was thinking you would think that i was set up for travel success i guess <laughs> but i wasn't and then all of a sudden like i just got a little taste of it and kind of like you said it was 
drugs. Like uh, I had someone on the podcast recently who said that they felt like they were came alive for the first time, like they were seeing life for the first time. They went, I think they went to Italy and, you know, tasted Italian wine for the first time. You know, they're maybe 16, 17, 18 years old, like had wine, heard Italian tasted, you know, the food and was just like, oh my God, I'm I'm actually alive for the first time ever. And I thought that was a really... Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the best gains you get from travel is it gets you out of the comfort zone. So you have to start developing your own, you know, persona, I would say. So you maybe you learn a new language, you you see a different way of cooking or speaking another language, which is, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, in Europe, it's, it's pretty... As a European, you know, you're used to all these different cultures because you just take a train like two hours and then you're in a different country. But if you come from the States or Australia or Africa, probably it's, it's so much different. Yeah. The space thing is so strange how that morphs your vantage point of like what reality is in terms of travel. Because I, I, I mean, you like you just said, if you travel a couple hours by train or, or a quick Ryanair flight across Europe, you can be in a whole new world in, in a matter of an hour or two. And me from the States, I've, we used to drive 15 hours in a day to get from North Carolina to Florida to go visit family and like you know, not not that much changed. <laughs> yeah, that's the cool part about Europe. That's why I love it. It's just it's still so different. It, it's amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background because I'm I'm curious. I know you as this guy who owns and started Remote Tribe, and I follow the content that you create. And we're gonna talk about that, of course. But I really don't know your background at all. Sort of like where you got, how you got started in this world, and and some of the places you've lived or traveled to. So I'm just gonna open it up super broad. Like, tell us a little bit about your your past and, and history and how you got to. To where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I, I've been working in digital marketing for about 12 years now. Um, I started working in small agencies in Scandinavia, and then I, I moved to Central Europe and Western Europe. And it was mostly about, you know, optimizing the websites and, and analyzing the data for the clients and stuff like that. So I, I really got into digital marketing since I was young. I also have a computer science background. And then uh, it was pretty straightforward after that to, you know, go into consultancy, get some clients, start working for myself. I found that again very liberating, just like a digital nomad, to be able to make your own money and not depend on a on a job. So I started doing that. I worked as a consultant for a few companies. Some of them were, uh, for example, like co-working spaces, you know, real estate agencies, e-commerce businesses. So I've done consulting for a lot of these clients. And then I saw the trend coming up on, you know, basically decentralizing your life by working in a co-working space, living in a co-living space and stuff like that. So that, that was upcoming. And I think COVID just accelerated that. And that's the moment when COVID hit and I saw people start working from home. I was sure that, that that's going to open a, a new Pandora box. So it did actually. And and we see now companies, even like Airbnb, they don't call you in the office anymore. They don't have, I mean, they have an HQ, but it's not used for having people every day. So then I, I, I just, I, I knew something big is coming. So I started this platform for, uh, and it's actually a community as well on social media for digital nomads and also remote workers and expats, I would say. We've got a lot of expats being interested in, in our content. Um, and we're trying to educate people and inform people about what's out there in terms of topics like the visa, you know, where to work from, co-working spaces, the best co-living spaces there in the world. Uh, I lived in some and I worked in some, but not in all of them, obviously. Not yet. And we, yeah, we're, we're trying to spread out the word and, and tell people that it's possible. There are a lot of limiting beliefs as well when it comes to how to work remotely. Um, there are a lot of jobs, including jobs in the medical sector that can actually do online, like uh, some kind of online nurses. I don't know exactly how it's called. There, you know, like we've got lawyers working remotely, 
setting up remote companies is, is pretty amazing. So sky's the limit. Obviously, in, in my view, I don't think we're going to have all the companies being fully distributed in, in the future because you still need, you know, you're going to have artists and workshops and doctors who are not able to work remotely, but you'll have a lot of jobs coming up fully remotely, I'm sure. And more startups becoming even more distributed. Yeah, this is the most fascinating part for me is like, of course, there's the, all these tech companies that have been working remotely for some time and leveraging technology that... Not, not, not all of them and, and not not fully, but I think oh, now it's, it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I think what's what's interesting, though, is like there have been those companies there, but they've been little startups and little, yeah. you know, little teams relatively. And now you're seeing big tech companies like Airbnb, for instance. And then even more fascinating, I think, is like the more traditional jobs like you talk about with like doctors and nurses and lawyers. These kinds of jobs moving to a remote setting really opens up this Pandora's box. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I mean, Airbnb is, is making a huge announcement today. I don't know exactly what it is. I haven't checked, but it might release a new product around remote working. So it's really, really going mainstream. It's true that, I mean, I think a lot of people knew that this way of working was really, the old way of working was really archaic. And, and you know, there was, that that comes from the industrial age mostly or from the 50s with your cubicles. Can you explain that? Can you, can, can, for like, like, I love this analogy, but for somebody that doesn't know the analogy, can you, can you like, like elaborate on that? I think it's yeah, sure. So, so I think that the, the way we used to work until two years ago was, probably set up in the 50s where you know you you ha- you were using a lot of paper you had to be there in person you had all these people carrying papers you didn't have computers you didn't have a lot of things we weren't so productive before and we didn't have internet which makes a huge difference so i think we were stuck in that mindset and a lot of companies still are uh, i think it's a cultural thing around companies and mostly the the older the established companies like the blue chips where you know they still want people in the office and they think that presence is is a thing people must be in there again it's, it's it's very interesting because it's kind of a limiting belief at the corporate level um and it all comes down from the top i think like you know if you have a ceo with vision and that can create a company a, a good culture in a remote company uh, or like a remote company with a good culture then I, again they, they will understand there is no need for an office so so i think yeah i think it, it was time for a change now now it's happening and it's uh, it's really good news i mean you know sometimes i was a few years back i was in some offices with this like really really bad neon light and it was really sunny outside in london and i was just thinking why am i here I don't have to be here. I've got the internet anywhere in the world, you know, especially in south of France. <laughs> yeah, where there's there's sunshine. When there's sunshine in London, you don't want to be sitting under the neon lights inside, right? Yeah. Well, how, how do you see the revolution, Chase? I, I think it's super interesting the analogy you you made about the industrial revolution, and I've I've I, one of my favorites is this comparison to the the different revolutions that we've had over the the course of human history. So you started with like the agricultural revolution, which took hunter gatherers and moved them to more of like like a sedentary lifestyle, which some would argue actually, like they went from this like tribal nomadic setting to, okay, we're going to be sedentary, which is good because we, we always have food and that's great. But on the flip side of that, they, people became more sedentary. They actually started working a lot harder. So there's arguments to be made that the agricultural revolution actually took us back a step in terms of like what we would call today work-life balance or work-life integration. And then moving to the next phase was like the industrial revolution and like, you know, assembly lines and 40-hour work week and showing up to the factory. And so then this next step is like, is it the remote revolution where you have, you know, you use the internet, you work from wherever you want, maybe the four-day work week or the who cares how many hours or a day a week you work as long as you get your work done 
thing becomes a, a reality and more more the norm than the exception. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Absolutely. You, yeah, let's see where that goes, because, you know, it, it might be I hope it's not going to be a, a disappointment for a lot of people. And we're not going back to something like the office. Honestly, I hope it's going to evolve into something really nice, like mini communities, like rural communities. That's how I see it going. I see the, the cities losing a lot of importance in the world in the way that it like in terms of demographic and opportunities, because now opportunities are everywhere, basically online. One thing you, you raised there very well is I think around the industry revolution and you know the, the factory working hours like you know we have an eight hour working day because there were three shifts of eight hours that's 24 hours and i mean if you think about that it's so obsolete it's 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 basically like i i talk with a lot of friends and they're productive mostly maybe three four hours a day and then they just take breaks because there's no point so uh, that that's another thing which i'm happy we're getting rid of like staying eight hours in a workplace when probably you're more productive like three or four I saw I saw a statistic once. That and there's said, nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, I mean, come on, just chill, you know. Yeah, there's there's two things to point out here. Like like one is that as you said, three hours. Like the average in office worker is is productive for about two to two point five to three hours per day. That's when they're actually getting work done. The rest is like a mixture of breaks and think you meetings know, or whatever the, yeah. meetings and and just basically you're just present and you're and you're getting paid for those five hours. The other one is that we've like fifty x our productivity over the last hundred years because of technology and all kinds of things that we have at our disposal. But we've maintained this same input of hours per week that we're supposed to work. So like yeah. that doesn't like what, what's the point in becoming so much more productive if we're not going to get some of that time back? <laughs> it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a legacy thing or or most likely a control thing. Maybe it's a it's a it's a way of controlling people. And, and I mean, it can be dangerous for, for a lot of companies, I guess, for people to so that they're more free because they have more choices. So I, I never I never it's also a mystery for me why we are so more productive these days and we still have to work eight hours a day. I don't understand that. If someone can explain after the podcast, <laughs> I'll be really happy. Yeah, I, th- it's, I think it's corporate greed. I mean, uh, like uh, not to sound like all like anti-capitalist or something like I don't I'm, I'm all for making money and, and, you know, profiting and things like that. But like it's just like, oh, well, why not keep squeezing more out of the out of the turnip if we can? Like there's there's more to be to be gained here. Yeah, pro- probably that's it. Yeah, it's the race. Yeah. And you also have a lot of competition. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree. And I think a lot of us are just waking up to the fact that like, obviously, you know, it's a little cliche to say like, oh, there's more to life than work and stuff. But taking that a bit further now and just saying like, but really, like, what can we do with all this extra time that we've gained in this freedom, you know, to live like you're living and to like, whatever it is, it's not travel and, and exploring for everybody, but can be hobbies can can be family time. Sure. It can be investing in your community. There's so much so much things, so many things we can do that, you know, that will serve us further down the road. I think. Yeah, I wanted to ask you something, but I forgot. Yeah, just go ahead. <laughs> I've got a million questions too. It's, it's. I'm sure we'll we'll get to like 10% of them. You mentioned the rural communities, and I also am on that train with you, which I I think is a very cool spinoff of this whole remote revolution and and digital nomads and it, things like this. Is that a lot of these rural communities, this is a big thing in Spain, that there's been this brain drain from the rural communities. The cities have absorbed all the brain power, the, you know, all the, all the talent 
has yeah. migrated away and therefore, you know, these communities are dying. You've got villages that you can buy for a hundred bucks <laughs> because they're just decrepit and falling apart. And, uh, and so anyway, I think the revitalization of these, these areas is going to be a really cool thing. And I would love to see digital nomads, expats, people who want to like go in and, and invest and live in a community, you know, put their, put themselves there and, and see what they can do for those, those local areas. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's coming as well. I have a feeling that's going to happen in the next 10 years. I think people will flock the cities, not all of them, but I think cities will become more and more, more and more expensive with the inflation and quality of life. It's usually not the best inside the cities. And now you can actually organize communities outside. It's going to be like our grandparents used to live, but with internet and separate rooms, probably. And, and you know, there is a big awareness now about, uh, you know, uh, organic food and organic things. So so it does make sense that people try and grow their own food or grow it with the community. It's interesting. It's like we might be going back to a different type of living uh, that we used to do before just because of the current economic social situations in uh, most of the western countries and maybe that's a good thing maybe i like to see the positive things in uh, in things because you know i mean that would that would mean upgrade in life and if, if people are happier that way why not it doesn't matter like maybe it's it's okay to have less money but but have a, a stress-free life you can live more enjoy your family more in your community Sounds pretty idyllic, actually. Like, it sounds like that shouldn't be counterintuitive, but it, it is. Yeah, especially nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Where everyone is running after the, the money on the hamster wheel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you feel like you got off the hamster wheel? Or like, were you ever on it? And and or are you off it yet? Yeah, I was a bit. So I, I was in the corporate life for a few years. And honestly, I, I didn't like it that much because there's this, the corporate life attracts a specific type of people. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. Like, you definitely can have a corporate career. It's just that feels like, you know, people have to do certain things because everyone else is doing it. So, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't built that way. And, you know, also, I feel like you're kind of trapped because you can't say whatever you think. There is a specific conduct. And in some companies, it's really bad. So you can't really say things. So I was there. I didn't like it. So obviously, I decided not to stay. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's kind of like the norm for a lot of people, right? Like you, you got a little taste of it, probably just because society told us that's what you thought you were supposed to do. And then you go, wait a second, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> what do I, what do I need to do differently? Yeah, exactly. We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at Insured Nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes, to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. Now, this is a company that was built by world travelers for world travelers. So they know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out Insured Nomads via the link in the show notes. 
Hey guys, so many of you write in asking how to support the show best. And if you are listening and made it this far into the episode, then I'm going to presume that perhaps you're one of those people that wants to help. So if that's the case, the best thing you could do right now would be to open up the app that you're currently using to listen to this episode. Go to the little arrow thing that allows you to share, select it and share it to one of your social media networks. That would be a huge, huge help. You can feel free to tag me at DC Warrington and I'll slap you a virtual high five from wherever I am in the world. Thank you so much for the support. We really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy listening to the rest of this episode. Did you work in a corporate environment before? Yeah, kind of. I'm always kind of skeptical to call it corporate because it was it, it was not that the industry that I was in was very corporate in like finance and insurance. And the but the company I worked for was really, really great and forward thinking, um, especially for like a, an American company. They were just all did have an influ- emphasis on work life balance and time off and things like that. So I, I was not in a super corporate environment, but I did wear, you know, like a blazer and tie or suit and tie uh, a lot of days of the week and traveled a lot. For, for work, but I was always I was always remote, so I never worked in an office, and that was always really important to me. I just thought that that at the time that was like the pinnacle of what location ind- like the closest thing I could get to location independence, you know, thirteen years ago or whatever. And was it a sales job, Chase, or no? But it was it was a relationship job. Okay, so it was you know I, you were I was traveling a lot. I was meeting with with our customers. I was on the road a good bit and working from home and you know working from coffee shops and stuff. So I did get like that sense of what it meant to I guess it was some, some form of like a digital nomad or I, I got my training wheels in digital nomadism there and and then later it became more of like a game more of a, a thing where I was like I just have to have real location independence and not be like limited to a state or a country even like I just need to be able to go where I want to go that that became my priority number one yeah so how did you get out of the what well, did you have a plan or how do you get out of the corporate life basically sketchy plan yeah I mean <laughs> it was it was my my wife and I were in the same boat. We were both like wanting that location independence, but also just thinking like that really probably wasn't attainable, which I mean, it almost wasn't at that time, but we knew we had to try to get as close as we could. So we did like a staggered approach. She she quit her job, started an online business. Then a year and a half later, when that was somewhat stable, like it feels mm-hmm. weird to say stable now, yeah. um, but somewhat stable. We had a little revenue coming in to support us. We uh, we moved to Latin America and and I quit my, my job. We started on that path. Together and then I eventually landed at at Jewett. So since that point, seven or eight years ago, it's been you know full location independence. Nice, well done. Yeah, that sounds like a like. A, what would be your advice for uh, people who want to build a location independent lifestyle? I, I can tell them mine, but I'm just curious about yours. Oh, I'm I'm super curious to hear yours. My uh, my initial feedback whenever somebody asks me that is that you have to be willing to take a take one big step back to take two steps forward. And so if you're just if you just can go ahead and bite the bullet and say, I know that eventually I'm going to get to where I want to get to. I believe you will if you have that determination and you make that your priority. But you, you just commit to yourself that, you know, OK, I'm going to be willing to take a step back. I'm going to make some sacrifices on day one. But in one year from now, I'm going to be where I really want to be. And from there on out, it'll just be an upward trajectory. That's my that's my advice to people. Yeah, I mean, my advice would be to to plan a bit and also try to, you know, have delayed gratification in mind when you do that. Because it's not going to happen overnight, so it's going to take probably one or two years, and you'll probably need some cash reserves as well. Unless you have like an online job already, a remote job, which you can do. By the way, we've got remote jobs on our website, so just go there and get one. What's the URL? It's uh, remote tribe.life/remote jobs. 
cool. We'll include that uh, in the uh, in the show notes, of course. Th- that's great. Yeah. So I would say that that's that's one important thing to, to plan a bit ahead and have some cash reserves. And the second one is if you have a partner, make sure it's the right person because you both need the same mindset. You have to take some risks. Honestly, I think today is risky even to have a job, especially in the the Western countries where things are getting wobbly right now. So I think the risk is less nowadays. And now with the online job marketing opening up and having so many remote jobs, I think it's easier than ever to make that step. So, you know, just go ahead, at least try it, give it a try, see if you can, if you can do it. And if you like it, then, then, you know, sky's the limit, I guess. Have you met many people that tried and wanted to continue, but, but couldn't like, like that? Another way to ask that question is, do you think a lot of people that make that commitment end up unhappy with that with that decision? No, no, I don't think so. What I noticed is a lot of people wanted to settle down at one point <clears throat> in a specific place. So they kind of quit this lifestyle. And obviously, they st- still kept traveling, but they kind of settled down in a place they liked. But I, I never met someone who was sorry about that. Like, the, everyone was very grateful. And, you know, they have amazing experiences. Yeah, I agree. That's that's generally my been my experience as well. Like, people... Most of the time, if they, they make that leap of faith, they, uh, they're happy with the decision. Even if they do end up deciding that that lifestyle wasn't for them, they return back to where they started. It, they're, they're happy that they made the decision and you know, made the short-term sacrifice to at least have the experience. So Chase, because you, had, like, you, you and your wife have uh, experience with starting online businesses, like, what would be you know, like the top three advice for people who want to start an online business uh, for our audience? Oh yeah, that's a that's a great question. Well, I will be honest. My I mean, my wife Allison is more the the expert. I was I was on her gravy train there, I guess in in a way. She started Etsy shops, and and so just to be like a hundred percent clear and and transparent with people, like it's not like we set up some uh, sweet e commerce business all on our own that that made millions or some Amazon shop that that did really well. No, we we had like a couple Etsy shops that. That worked well for us. That supported our lifestyle for traveling for a couple years, and it was it was sufficient. But you know, we weren't lighting the world on fire either. But my my advice to people starts first of all with with having a plan. You know, it's just like any business. Have a business plan. Know who your audience is. Know who you're you're trying to speak to. Also, if you're sourcing materials and you want to be a digital nomad, be very cautious and 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 very detailed in your approach to this because depending on where you are, sourcing materials can change quite a bit. And especially like if you think about things like for instance photography and and things like this. If you have, let's say you're making, you know, you're making widgets and you use some certain type of plastic and you're in Peru at the time and that you're sourcing your plastic from Peru and then you move over and you're living in Italy, that plastic might change. And now you're sourcing that same plastic. It looks similar, but it, it's pretty different in photos. Now you have to go back and change all your photos. So you have to be really cognizant of, of these little details um, because the product will change if you're selling products. And, the, uh, and my third piece of advice is to outsource your week. Um, so whatever you're not, don't try to be everything to everyone. You're probably not good at all of the details of running a business. So if you're not a web designer, don't be your don't be your own web designer. If you're not an SEO person, don't be your own SEO person. If you're not an accounting person, find an accountant. It's impossible yeah. to be really good at all those. Yeah, and it's hard to scale because you're always going to be trapped into these kind of tasks like admin tasks or things that you don't know how to do, and you're going to lose a lot of time on those ones. So you'd rather outsource them if you can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like the four-hour work week 
mentality, right? Like just like outsource the things that you're not good at so you can focus on what you're, you're really good at. Yeah. And there's so many places to do it right now. You've, you can hire contractors online. You, you've got Fiverr, you've got uh, Upwork. So th- there are really ways around things that, you know, you can can do. And relatively cheap too. Like, like you can, like you can actually, if you can figure out, this is also from the four hour work week. Uh, like if you, you can figure out what you're worth hourly, right? So let's say you, you know, you do your month. Okay. This is how much a month I make a month. And after expenses, this is how much I pay myself. So I make 25 bucks an hour. Yeah. Theoretically, anything less than 25 bucks an hour that, that cost you more less than, or that you can pay someone else to do for less than 25 bucks an hour, you should pay them to do. And if you take that mentality and you start applying that, it can it can really work out for you. I think in the in the long run. For instance, with this podcast, I can't do it all, and there's an awesome team behind me that's doing a bunch of the details that they're better at than me, and it it makes me do what I do best. And so I don't know. It's a positive flywheel if you if you get it spinning in the right direction. I mean, uh, I mean what was the uh, the commonality of uh, the online entrepreneurs you met so far? Like, what was their point of success the main you know the main the main traits that they had you know uh mitko kershovsky from that remote life by any chance he's he's been on the podcast he has his oh, own mitko. Podcast. yeah yeah i think i'm following him on on, on twitter yeah. yeah yeah probably he's he's awesome at this um he this is what he really dives into on that remote life his podcast is like online entrepreneurs and he's even got a company called parable that focuses on successful online entrepreneurs and does like deep case studies on them and you know the trigger points the inflection points when companies really took off and what made that happen and and it's just like packed tons of full full of tons of information so for anybody like deeply interested in that question i would i would defer to mitgo and and that remote life because he, he does it well nice one yeah i'll definitely check him out i i i follow him but i never had time to listen for the podcast but it seems like i should yeah he's a good one do you have any particular advice yourself um i do actually so I mean, obviously, it also depends a lot on the type of business you want to start, but you have to start early and, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. It's true. And things don't turn up as they should most of the time. So it might be pivoting a few times. So that's why it's really good to start early. I think that's one of my my best advices. And don't be afraid to make mistakes, like experiment with you know different social media channels, different content, different product types. You, you have to do that. Obviously, you have to know your market very well too, but start early, start building your audience, uh, start being out there. A lot of people, and also just be patient. It takes years, honestly. Like most of the people I talked to, it got them like one, two, up to three or five years to have a successful business. So yeah, I mean, this 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 instant gratification is terrible we have these days with the social <laughs> media. And I, I don't know, like it's sometimes I feel like we live in a big lie where everyone seems so successful, but in fact, they're not. We're all imposters, man. That's, that is something I've learned. I don't know if you see that as well, but it's like everybody has some imposter syndrome if they're doing anything, even a little bit challenging, I think. And, and, and we all are trying to figure out how to, you know, how to not be in feeling impostery, but yeah, some people call it the, the, the BS economy these days. So it feels like it. I hadn't heard that. I love yeah, yeah. And there's a really great book called uh, The BS Jobs. It's written by a guy who I think really hates the corporate environment. And you know, he he actually pinpoints why a lot of jobs are BS. It's a brilliant book that people should read it. It's definitely what, great. What's the what's like just like what would be an example? Like, like you know, first of all, that you don't need eight hours to 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 do your job and 
and like second, I think it's it's all about these jobs that you know they're basically like middle management. They're useless in most of the cases, and they're they're just to you know just to be there. Like it's, you know, a lot of secretarial jobs are are useless as well. So. A lot of things can be done by by one person, um, so you don't actually need so many people. But yeah, I, I guess everyone knows who worked in big companies that you know they're not very efficient. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of waste in in the process. I think. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, it's a great book, and he wrote a, a few books about the, the working environment. He's a very interesting guy. Cool. I gotta I gotta check that out. I, I love that there's like more and more content out there that sounds like you and I overlap a lot on and things that we'd yeah. like to digest and, and think about and talk about. Absolutely. I would love to return to the remote tribe and talk a little bit about mo- a little bit more about what you guys are doing there. And just to give people a feel for what the, the site is all about, and then maybe go a little bit deeper on some of the things that you're really digging. In. Yeah, absolutely. So, so again, we write content for aspiring digital nomads and for remote workers in general. It can be anything from co-working spaces, co-living spaces to how to build a business online, what cards you can use while still travel so you save up money. So a bit of everything in regards to remote working and remote lifestyle. We also have a section with remote jobs which were launched recently where you can go and you know if, if you want a job in IT marketing sales uh, we've got I think over a thousand jobs right now so people can just go there and apply there's a job for anyone really so we're trying to to push that that bit as well now because I think it makes sense to have a, a job portal inside our platform uh, and then we're building uh, we're building something on the side I can't really talk more about it right now but we're trying to build something bigger on the side we also have a nice instagram community where people interact with our content and i'm really happy to see that and also my, my linkedin is uh, is pretty packed with info so just follow us either the company profile or my, my linkedin a lot of interesting discussions about the future of work are happening on linkedin so you should definitely be there you know just don't mind the uh, clickbaits and the emotional posts just just ignore that and just follow the right people and the, the right content there's there's great content very interesting people on linkedin definitely and just connect with people yeah linkedin get a bad rap i think for a long time. And I've I've returned to it be- because I, I actually really enjoy the interactions there. And like you said, if you ignore the, the junk that's there, there's a lot of really good conversations. And I think that's the key is that they're like in-depth conversations. I, I, I get Twitter and I, I understand like, you know, in, in other forms of social media where you like, you have these quick interactions, but I think I've become so accustomed to working asynchronously via the written form with my teammates and, and, partners and things like that, that I really enjoy the, the long form, the more depth that you get from the conversation. Yeah, there. D- definitely. definitely. Just, just follow the right people. I mean, I, I do unfollow people as well. It's true because I, you know, as soon as I see something which is not in part of the industry or if, you know, if it's not professional or related to what I'm doing, I just unfollow because it would be just a waste of time. Yeah. So, you know, don't, don't be afraid. Just, just everything is at the touch of a button these days. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really cool what you guys are doing at at Remote Tribe. I love the the content you guys put out there, and I I think it's really cool. I actually didn't know that there was such a big community forming, and and or also about the job board, which I think is so vital these days. I I think back to you asked me earlier, like you know, kind of about my beginnings in this world, and my I've mentioned it here on the podcast before, but like my wife found my job on a Pinterest board. Like my, my initial job at Doist, where you're like, how did like there there weren't remote there weren't location independent jobs. 
these kind of niche channels where you could find these kind of remote jobs. I've, I've heard about these stories. Very, very interesting. You're one of them. Well, I think it's great now that there's what, like websites like yours that are like, literally, it's a jobs board, remote jobs. And like, and like that, that's an amazing thing. And you have over a thousand on there. Like, that's insane. Yeah, yeah exactly. And there's some, a, a lot, a lot more other websites on the internet. I think there are at least 20 solid websites where people can go and get a job. It's been democratized a lot, to be frank, lately. Like, it's, yeah, it's definitely going mainstream. And it was, I agree, it was really hard. Like, I was lucky to, to, to go in consulting and get my contracts. And that was location independent, you know, in the last six years. But yeah, it, it was hard. I agree. It was really hard before. Are there any particular trends that you're seeing that are uh, that are like emerging in the in the digital nomad space or or remote workspace that could be useful for the audience? Like something that's kind of like coming up on the on the horizon? Yeah, I think I think these kind of vocations or you know remote vocations, so to say, vocations are are coming up. So you know people going to these camps, remote camps, where they meet people, they work, and they learn. Usually they're two weeks long or a month long. And then you you go there and you, you might be traveling during that time, but you work together with new people. You you could be working on your project. You do activities together. You learn maybe a new language. So they take care of you. So I think that that's really upcoming in terms of trends. Also, I think, again, like, I, th- I think travel will be changing. I, I think people will stay longer in their on their holidays. I think Airbnb has made a study on that. And they were saying that the average stay has increased uh, the number of days in a stay in Airbnb. So I think people will actually spend more time on so-called holidays, but they might be working as well. So it's going to be more of a, a mix between the two. Workation type. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, rural tourism is, <clears throat> I think, is going to skyrocket soon. Also, slow travel is a thing. We see more trends on that, slow traveling. So that means you basically go in a location like in a smaller village or a smaller city and then you just immerse yourself in the local culture and you basically spend maybe two or three weeks in the more or less in the same place doing small trips around the that place so you learn more by seeing less something like that which is very interesting very interesting concept also this conscious traveling is is coming strong you know people want to live in nature in like this eco resorts you know using less and less materials and and goods and just you know, contributing to less, I guess, emissions and and waste. Yeah, smaller living, more sustainable. Yeah, minimalism is also will be a thing. Like I see people. Obviously, it's it's really hard to to buy a flat right now in a lot of big cities. So <clears throat> I think I think the renting model is is a thing. Unfortunately, it th- does have advantages as well. But I I think you'll see more and more and more people living minimalistic in the future. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if it's a social economic thing or just that's the trend of, you know, the lifestyle we're living at the moment. Yeah, I think also the emergence of all these, you know, digital nomad visas and such that are opening up the opportunity to stay in places more than than a, a month or three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's something to it's definitely in. a trend. Like we see a lot of countries releasing these visas, but so, some of them are really complicated to get and it yeah. takes a lot of time and you need a really high income. So it's like, for example, for Greece, I think you need at least $3,000 a month or maybe $4,000. Uh, I think Brazil is a really, really nice one. You have to prove about $1,200 per month income. It's, it's not that bureaucratic to, to get one, so it's pretty easy. But yeah, some of them have really high requirements. And But it's still, it's, it's still good it's happening. Like I'm really happy to see governments coming up with that because they, they see income in digital nomad. So. Yeah, somebody on here early, on the show earlier was talking about how like the... Uh, helped kind of create some of the digital nomad visas and he was like talking about us like we were 
like people applying, like they were users of a product or or like reader, you know, subscribers to a newsletter. Like we're is like a a, fu- a business funnel. Yeah, it's kind of like an expat service for digital nomads because I mean, digital nomads are in one way expats so they need the certain type of service which is the digital nomad visa i guess yeah i think what what gonzalo hall is doing with madeira and some of the other digital nomad communities he makes a really good point often that like yeah that's all great like you can provide the visa the mechanism by which you can go stay in a place for a long period of time but without the infrastructure and the community there like we could you know, make that more a bit more realistic, like without the a co-working space and really good Wi-Fi and other people around you who are like facilities that facilities. make people stay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you need you need all that stuff, too. Yeah. One thing I noticed in these uh, COVID places is that you actually need a good community, as you're saying. That's one very important. And two, you need good facilities. So people hang around and they socialize even more. The problem is a lot of co-living companies are trying to to make a co-living look like I don't know if they're trying or they're not trying trying but they're they're making people feel like they're in either in a hotel or in a shared space which is not the point you need events you need community managers you know and you also need a bunch of people like if you're like just like six ten people in a house i don't think it's enough to build a community because probably half of the people will be away most of the time yeah yeah exactly what do, what do you think is the right number is it like more like 30 40 something like that yeah i think everything over i think 50 would be would be good even 50 might be too less but i think anything over 50 depending on the location and the facilities again like it's hard like if you don't live in, in a big city where you can have a block or something it, it's hard to put so many people together but i still think it's possible i think it's still possible in the rural environment too yeah i do too i, I think that's a big thing that's that's coming is more and you, you've already touched on this some like those co-living or workcation kind of locations that are in more rural beautiful natural scenery settings small villages things like that i think that's that's the thing that that's coming or or is already here but will become more a bit more mainstream at least mainstream within this niche <laughs> yeah exactly i mean there there are already co-living spaces growing immensely at the moment especially after covid and there you know we already have conferences and you've got a lot of people building them um and you've got a few big players already in the us and and in europe there is a really cool company in belgium that has some gorgeous spaces really gorgeous and now they expanded to paris and uh, I don't remember exactly the name, but if, if you just check check them out in Brussels, you, you, you'll you find them for sure. And yeah, they're, they're, you've got this kind of boutique co-living spaces as well. They're probably going to be acquired at one point by the big players, but there's so many options. Yeah, I think it, it's going really well. Yeah, I mean, I, didn't, I don't think we knew what the word co-living was, or maybe it didn't even exist like five years ago. I don't know exactly, but like it's, it's a relatively new thing. And to be talking about like the big players gobbling them up, like that shows you how quickly this is moving. True. And there's also another industry around that. It's, it's about facility management and space management. There, mm-hmm. I think there is a really good opportunity there for entrepreneurs to sell products to these places like the co-working and co-living spaces, like, you know, like a B2B service on how to manage the space, the, the tenants, the problems. I think there's a really, really good niche there to be explored. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I know we, we you didn't have the name of the place that's the co-living that's emerging there in Belgium and, and elsewhere, but are there any names that do come to mind that for somebody who's kind of listening and totally unfamiliar with co-living, if they wanted to start sort of the top and say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go stay at a at a, a really nice co-living. Are there any brands out there that you would recommend? Yeah. So I, I used to live in the collective in um, 
in London, which is great. I mean, it's nice. Obviously, it has some issues. You're always going to have some kind of queer people or like issues in the building with, with maintenance, but that's that's okay, you know. I think in Europe, I think it's called Cohabs, the one from Brussels, from, from Europe. They've got, I think they've got a place in Paris now too. It's called Cohabs. And I think there was a, a nice one I've heard about in, in the US. It's called Common. You might know this one, but it's more like a like a big house, Common. So so just, just, just look out for the number of rooms and all that stuff. I don't know if you like small communities or bigger communities, but the, the ones in the U.S. tend to be smaller for some reason. I, I I don't know. Like they're usually based in a. They're more like flat shares. So yeah, I, I think that that would change also. Like like in New York and LA, I think you can you can actually live in a big block with more people if you want to. But yeah, th- this would be the the ones. And you've got you've got Selena obviously, but I think Selena is pretty expensive. They have a big network in Central and South America. Uh, they've got great location. I mean, the business model is great. It's just that I, I don't understand why it's that expensive. I, I just don't know. Yeah, affordability has got to be baked into this as well. Like you mentioned earlier with the digital nomad. There, I think there's a, a misconception sometimes that like digital nomads are, you know, the, the stereotypical like Amazon shop owner who's made it, making a million bucks a year or social media influencer with just like tons of revenue. Like the average digital nomads are freelancing, you know, making a little bit of money and, and they're, they're not meeting these, these multi, you know, multiples of thousand euros or dollars per month. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, some of the visas are more like for expats like maybe expat couples or something like that rather than digital nomads because as a digital nomad in most of the cases you're either an entrepreneur as you're saying or freelancing which are not very very stable jobs so you're you sometimes you're you know you're on the edge sometimes you're doing very well and, and until you set up your business so it, it, it can be quite hard that's what i'm saying you know it's risky it's also very rewarding yeah interesting aspect there yeah absolutely well man this was uh this was awesome i feel like we could probably go on for a while but i feel like we we covered quite a bit and and you know maybe we'll have to return to cover some of these topics a little more in depth but uh this was a lot of fun man thank you for so much for for joining the show show and once again if you would just mention where people can go to to learn more about remote tribe and and follow you and we'll put all those links in the show notes as well yeah sure so so if, if you want to check out our content just go to remote tribe.life um if you want to check out the jobs we have just go to remote tribe.life for a slash remote jobs you know just go google our name or just look look us up on LinkedIn. LinkedIn or Instagram. We're also on Twitter. We're covering all the major social media channels. Just follow us, ask us questions, you know, very happy to answer it and to help you guys. And then Chase, yeah, thanks a lot for, for having me. I hope we can do another show some other time with like some really niche topics that people haven't heard about and we can open more minds. Let's do this. If you're listening to this, go follow Andrew on LinkedIn or social media or wherever, or, or just come to me and tell us what you would like for us to go deeper on. We, we did a very broad topic show today where we just talked about a bunch of random things that are interesting to us. Um, but if there's something we should have uh, gone deeper on, let us know and we'll, uh, we'll do a follow-up. That sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks again, Andrew, man. This was awesome. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go get another cup of coffee and we'll get it. We'll get it started. Have a good one, man. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter, no spam, guaranteed, or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me, it also helps more wanderers just like you 
find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.